0: Dignity of man. Well, Fred Harris and I had planned to do a show to discuss the results the day after the Iowa caucuses. <laughs> well, we all know why that didn't happen. New Hampshire did happen, and according to all the pundits I have heard, we have a front runner for the Democratic nomination. Bernie Sanders won a victory in New Hampshire, the second in a row after winning the most votes in Iowa. Pete Buttigieg, of course, was a close second. Amy Klobuchar came in what was to many a surprising strong third. Elizabeth Warren came in a disappointing fourth, and Joe Biden finished basically a disastrous fifth. So where do we go from here? What can be learned from how people decided, many doing so only in the last few days? How does the overriding concern that we make sure we beat Trump play itself out? Our guest today, I'm honored to have Fred Harris, former Oklahoma senator and chair of the Democratic National Committee. He ran for president in 1976, and I sure as heck voted for him. He was certainly ahead of his time back in 1976. His campaign was the first to use the word populism in my lifetime, I think. In 2016, we had two candidates who claimed the populist mantle. One, Bernie Sanders has always been a genuine populist, populist Well. Time has proved that Donald Trump faked it. He says, to call Trump, uh, our guest uh, Fred Harris says, to call Trump populist is complicity in a lie. Demagoguery is not populism. Thanks for being with us, Fred Harris. Thanks so much.
1: Well, of course, uh, Bert, good, good to be back with you.
0: Well, the Democratic Party, I'm sure you agree, stands at a crossroads, very important crossroads. The knives have been out against Bernie Sanders ever since he started his recent surge in many polls. Will the party do what it did in 2016 and reject the exceptionally popular populist for fear of losing corporate money and alienating the moderates? How much power will the term socialist have in the general election? And what is populism? How is it distinct from the liberalism with with which I long align myself? Well, Again, thanks for being with us, uh, Senator Fred Harris. Let's let's address the New Hampshire results. The top four going into the New Hampshire primary were, as they had been for a long time, Bernie, Buttigieg, Biden, and Warren. Though in some in-state pundits thought Buttigieg might win, Bernie did win. That's the biggest news, of course. But suddenly, Amy Klobuchar rearranged the race as Biden and Warren were clearly fading. How do those votes shift to Buttigieg and Klobuchar? And, and how do you figure the Klobuchar surge? Let's just go from there.
1: Well, I think that uh, Klobuchar all along has, has done really well in in uh, these debates. She's shown up very well, showing some humor and, uh, and uh, <laughs> had quite a bit of moxie. Uh, that didn't, uh, those good appearances on the debates didn't, Translate much for a while in uh, in uh, votes, but uh, uh, it certainly did after the last one, uh, of course. And I think she probably picked up uh, uh, votes from people who had been leaning toward uh, a number of candidates. I don't think it it all came from right. uh, uh, Joe Biden, whose support, as we saw, really collapsed in Iowa and then worse in in uh, in, uh, uh new, hampshire. new hampshire i think that uh, she probably uh, got some votes from people who had been leaning toward elizabeth warren as well and uh, uh maybe uh, some that had been uh leaning toward buddhage uh, Buttigieg. uh I, it it was a really a uh, impressive performance and kept her in the uh, in the race i think
0: yeah it was a very impressive uh, importance and uh you know, I, I, I think her authenticity comes across, uh, and, and that's, I, I that's think
1: that's really it. I, I think that's true. I think that's true. And you know, I, I think it's really uh, wrong, uh, mistaken for us to to call uh, uh, some of these candidates moderates. Really, any one of them, I think, would uh, that uh, any one of the top three or four would be uh, probably the most progressive president we'd ever had oh, that's interesting. Uh, we've ever had uh, so uh, it, it's also her position on issues that has been attractive to people and probably her experience the feeling that uh, she'd have a, a a good chance to get uh, a good part of what she advocates uh, enacted
0: yeah, she's she's worked across the aisle. That is uh, very important. And of course, yeah, you know, just from my opinion here, you don't want to uh, uh, compromise too much, you know, because there's this huge differences between uh, the Trump version of the Republican Party and the Democratic party. but but certainly, you're right. I mean, <laughs> we've we've uh, become a lot more progressive than uh, we have been for a long time. Now, of course, Absolutely, we don't, uh, and
1: I don't, uh, you know, we shouldn't think about, well, first, we we have to reach out to uh, a lot of people, for example, in Wisconsin and uh, Michigan and yes. Pennsylvania, yes. Uh, who voted for uh, Trump uh, last time and, and might be leaning that way now. But we don't need to, uh, uh, in order to do that, we don't need to change what we believe in. Uh, My old friend, Jim Hightower, who was my campaign manager, the the really uh, fiery, fun, and factual uh, and effective Texas populist, he's working, uh, uh, incidentally, he personally has uh, said, uh, uh, announced two or three times that he would support either uh, Bernie or Elizabeth Warren this Mm -hmm. time. He Mm -hmm. was a big Bernie supporter uh, last time, and right now what he's doing, though, is spending full-time Uh, Organizing for uh, American Revolution in Texas, and uh, really concentrating on the legislature there. He he says that uh, basically Texas is not a uh, conservative state; it's a non-voting state. Yeah, you've got all those people who haven't voted before because they haven't had uh, nobody's paid much attention to a lot of them, and and uh, uh, and and talked to them, and they're doing it. They're they're trying to flip. Nine house seats. This time they they flipped twelve house seats. I mean, I'm talking about state house seats. Sure, sure, sure. Last time and flipped nine, and the the Democrats would take over the house there. And he says, we don't. We just talk to them about what we believe in: minimum wage, yep. uh, free college education, and so forth. And and it works.
0: I th- I think it does. And and Texas is really undergoing. A uh, big political change. I have high hopes for Texas. Uh, there's there's a lot of really good people there. You know, I've heard in the past that Austin is a blueberry floating in uh, tomato soup. But I think <laughs> with the, uh, you know, a lot of Hispanics there, and uh, I, I think there's real potential there. And you bring up a good point there. It's like, I mean, Obama, a lot of people who voted for Obama in 2012 shifted and voted for Donald Trump in 2016. That you know one of the questions is of which there are many is how do we how do we get them the people who voted for Trump last time around without wasting too much time I mean if if somebody's a real Trump believer, you know, a hardcore maga person, forget about it. But there are a lot of people I think who you know it it's like I had an old friend of mine who, uh, a Unitarian minister years ago who unfortunately passed away quite young, but he said there's only two things that that motivate people in politics, fear and reassurance and that every election year people either want change or more of the same. Sometimes people want more of the same. In 2016, people wanted change uh, and that's, I think, how Trump got it. He was, he was outside the beltway. He was... Uh, uh, different, no experience at all but uh, I wonder where that puts us now I mean there's a lot of really good people we have a whole bunch of senators you know Bernie Sanders, uh, uh, Elizabeth Warren, Klobuchar used to be Michael Bennett some some really uh, good good people in there and you know there's sort of a question of do we go after the the so-called moderates in the Democratic Party do we go after those people who wanted change who flipped? I mean, some of them even voted for Bernie. I talked to somebody the other day, actually, who voted for Bernie and then uh, voted for Trump, but now he's back with Bernie. I don't know. There's a lot of talk there. Any any uh, reactions to that?
1: Well, of course, uh, we know that Trump is really a symptom, I think. Uh, I mean, he's a terrible yeah. <laughs> result, too, but uh, he's a symptom in some ways because you know, I grew up with a lot of those people that voted for Trump, uh-huh. uh, and 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 their lives were not very good, and and they went through a period when they felt that uh, uh, a lot of people weren't talking to them, a lot of people uh-huh. in politics, and a lot of people in the Democratic Party, and I, uh, and and uh, Trump was lying to them; yeah. he was going to make their lives better, and. And uh, bring back manufacturing and bring back uh-huh. the whole industry and and all these jobs and uh, all of which he's he's failed to do, and he was he also said that he was going to protect Social Security and Medicare and of course his new budget uh, doesn't goes uh-huh. just the opposite. Oph, but amazing. at any rate, he was talking to them about real things and about their lives. They thought. Yes, and uh, uh, and that's what uh, we have begun to do a, a lot more now. I think too.
0: Yeah, I think so too. And I, and I think you know the term liberal. Uh, my take is that in 1988, those Willie Horton ads against Dukakis uh, intentionally sullied the the word liberal, and it's now perceived to be sort of elitist. You know, they don't they don't listen to us. And what what's the difference? I mean. This term "populist." You know, I mean, you've been—you were a populist before it was popular, and, and Jim Hightower too. What, what are some of the important differences between, you know, progressive populism and and liberalism? Do you think?
1: Well, I think uh, uh, one thing that's a that's a difference from sort of New Deal liberalism, which of course I supported. No, uh, me too. Our our people. My people thought of Franklin Roosevelt as a saint. Yes. Uh, and and he was a political saint, of course, uh-huh. and what he tried to do. But basically, the appeal, and the appeal of of, of Senator McGovern, great friend and a great Democrat, yeah. uh, was do the right thing uh, because it's morally right to do it. Uh-huh. Help other people uh, because uh, it's it's the moral thing to do. And what populism says instead is Uh, take care of your your own self-interest that everybody does better when everybody does better yes (laughs) as 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 uh... jim hightower and and a lot of people have been saying for a long time yes that is we we want you to uh... think about uh... the, the concentration of economic and political power yes and we want you to think about a better distribution a fairer distribution of wealth and income and power in this country. That's what populism is about. And we, you know what, uh, a long time ago there was a, a study, but it's still, I think, a good one, that studied uh, schools that served uh, middle-class people, upper-class people in income, and uh, and and poor people, uh, poor kids, mm-hmm. and uh, what uh, they were told or taught about politics, Uh People in the uh, lower-income schools were taught that that uh, you ought to take part in politics uh, because it's your duty. It's like carrying out the garbage and, <laughs> and whatever, and you ought to obey the law and obey the rules. Middle-class people taught again, uh, well, uh, you, you vote because citizens should vote. It's, right. uh, it's your duty.
2: Right.
1: People in uh, upper-class schools <laughs> were taught that that uh, you get involved in politics to to keep what's yours and, and to protect your your own interests, your self-interest. Well, we want everybody to be involved in politics on the basis of their self-interest. Yes. And, uh, you know, uh, people have written about, you, you remember that book, What's the Matter with Kansas, where sure cross-cutting issues get people to, you know, like uh, law and order or communism or whatever, Cause people to vote against their own economic interests, and we've got to help re- reverse that
0: Well, we certainly do, and I think you know talking to people my m- one of my daughters is going to school in South Central Pennsylvania, and it's real Trump country around there. Her college is not, thank goodness, but it is, and I think it's because you know I was trying to figure it out people are not getting ahead. they play by the rules uh they do what's right and they're not getting ahead and i i can't help but think that they feel like politicians in both parties until trump came along didn't bother to listen to them didn't have their interests at heart they they were listening to other interests and serving other interests and i think that's where where populism comes in and and uh as kind of a history buff you know j- just uh, populism is, is not a new word it's been around throughout American history, from the Shays and Whiskey Rebellions through the progressive populism of William Jennings Bryan and the trust-busting aspect of Theodore Roosevelt. Then there was the prairie populism of people like Fightin' Bob La Follette. There was Huey Long in the 1930s, Fred Harris in 1976, and now Bernie Sanders. And I, I, I think it's, it's it's different, and it can a- appeal to a lot wider swath. People, you know, in the Democratic National Committee, they're they're afraid of it. Uh, the no,
1: I don't think that's. Go ahead. That's true. Uh, they uh, th- this is not your grandparents' Democratic Party, or the yeah. not even your parents. Uh, or my uh, Democratic yeah. Party.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, for example, my wife, Margaret Elliston, is the state Democratic chair in New Mexico.
2: Uh-huh.
1: She calls me her chief of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so. I've I've accompanied accompanied her to uh, meetings of the Democratic National Committee. Uh Uh, And, uh, for example, there was a great meeting of the Democratic National Committee in San Francisco last August where all of the candidates for president appeared, and either by video or in person, most of them in person. And the person who by far got the overwhelming uh, response from that uh, crowd of four or five hundred people was uh, was Elizabeth Warren, mm-hmm. uh, and that the party is was right down the line with the things that Elizabeth Warren and and therefore uh, Bernie Sanders, mm-hmm. uh, two or four, and something else happened at that meeting. I think one of the great people in America today is the Reverend William Barber Absolutely. of North Carolina.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, who is the uh, originator of Moral Mondays, where people met at the legislature uh, and uh, pushed them to uh, adopt progressive programs, and is also uh, the leader of of an upcoming June new uh, uh, campaign uh, uh, march on Washington, Uh uh, a poverty march on Washington. And he says this. He says, we can't keep... Uh, fighting in our separate silos with uh, the with, uh, labor over here and civil rights people over here, that uh, we've got to make our enemies fight all of us at once. Yeah. Reverend Barber spoke at that Democratic National Committee meeting in San Francisco in August, saying all of the things that we be- believe in, you and I, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, that Bernie Sanders and uh, Elizabeth Warren, uh, were advocating and are advocating. And he got, this is the biggest thing that's happened in any Democratic meeting I've been to in, in 50 years. It, it was the most sustained and wild and enthusiastic uh, response that uh, people just would not settle down again, stop applauding and cheering, until finally the chair, Tom Pettis, said, uh, in my, uh, uh, religion, my faith, uh, we, uh, uh, when we hear a sermon like that, mm-hmm. we, uh, ask for two minutes of silent meditation on the message. And he did that. And those four or 500 people sat in silence for, uh, two minutes thinking about what Reverend Barber had said. He, he believes as I believe, and as populists believe, that you can get together uh, men and women, uh, people of different uh, gender mm-hmm. uh, and and people of different race uh, and and labor people and and, uh, and civil rights advocates all together, uh, LGBTQ people, and he's done it. he shows you can do that. And we've uh, shown that Jim Hightower is helping show that down in Texas right now. Mm-hmm. That's the uh, that's the Democratic Party, the National Party today. And I think people make a mistake if they're talking about, uh, about how the Democratic Party is is uh, this or that. Uh, that's uh, that's simply uh, not true. And it's also it seems to me running against the Democratic Party, as uh, I've heard. Yeah. Uh, lately for example three important uh, supporters of of uh, Bernie say that they think there was a conspiracy that caused that uh, Iowa grew uh, yeah. up uh, a conspiracy against him uh, Bernie and I heard a, a yeah. young woman say that uh, also she thought even that there was her c- a conspiracy by the Democratic Party uh, to uh, uh, Caused the CNN to pull back their poll at the last because it was going to show Bernie ahead. Mm-hmm. All of that is, first of all, is untrue. Yes. And secondly, it seems to me is counterproductive. If you uh, if you're trying to uh, hurt the brand uh, and, and <laughs> in order to get uh, sort of short-term advantage, a kind of a grievance politics that does stir up your base. It seems to me that that is very short-sighted because uh, uh, eventually you're going to have to run with that brand, and uh, if you hurt it, you're going to hurt your chances of, uh, of electing Democrats under that brand to the Senate and to the House and oh, the so governor's weird. offices as well. So I think that's a that's a problem that uh, ought to be figured out, particularly by uh, some of those people that are supporting Bernie.
0: Yes, people do go overboard sometimes. I like to remember a quote from H.L. Mencken, never ascribe ill intent where mere incompetence is the likely culprit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, That's right. I mean, you know, I feel bad for the uh, just left chair of the Iowa Democratic Committee. It was, you know, it had to happen. Somebody had to fall on the sword, but... It was not a conspiracy, you know, and when people do that, you're right, it, it it puts one silo against another, and we just, we can't afford to do that. I mean, America's in deep uh, threat right now with the possibility yeah. of a second Trump turn.
1: The National Committee, you know, that's not our, uh, our adversary, No, and we ought not to be running against them. I think also uh, all of these candidates ought to be careful now not to try to demonize the opposition. Uh, and the followers of uh, other candidates, because eventually we're going to have to try to put this thing that's right. together again. I mean, it's it's uh, very important, I think, to talk about differences in uh, uh, in oh,
0: policies, uh, programs,
1: sure Yeah, yeah. Uh, because that's the way we we come up with the best ones uh, with that kind of competition. But uh, to demonize uh, opponents uh, to indicate that they're somehow outside the pale, that is not going to be a a good uh, uh, long-term strategy for success and could wind up uh, getting a third-party candidate uh, involved again, which would be, be, I think, fatal for for the Democratic Party.
0: Absolutely. You have to have some level of sophistication. There's a lot of people who, you know, don't have the level of sophistication that, you know... Old veterans like you and me have, and and we have to, you know, we have to recognize that and and help people out. And I think, you know, some people say, well, you can't criticize any Democrat. I think there's a de- and that they call it bashing. I think there's a big difference between telling the truth, bringing up a record of a person, you know, and and showing some of these uh, things. It's competition. The primary is not a coronation. Uh, it's no. competition. But you know, if you're going to be criticizing someone else. It's, it's important to tell the truth, and I think bringing up their past positions on things is, is quite kosher indeed. And,
1: yes, uh, I, th- I think that's absolutely uh, necessary. I yes. think that's important to talk about the differences in programs and in the yeah. history and so forth on issues. That's, that's very important. But uh, I think we've got to try to avoid questioning people's motives and saying, uh, that well, they are just not good people because they're... Uh,
0: well, I've come to the conclusion that purity is poison. You know, you can't. Wonderful uh, person here in New, in uh, New Hampshire said, uh, "Never make the good the enemy of the perfect." You know, we have right. to win here. We ha- in unity there is strength. You know, let's face it. We, that's we, right.
1: And I don't think uh, I just want to say again. Sure, sure. In trying to appeal to some of those people that we lost in yeah. Wisconsin and Michigan and Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania yeah, for yeah. example, last yeah. time, uh, that's uh, we don't have to change what we believe in. That's true. As a matter of fact, uh, we must, I think, stand for something. Because that's that's the appeal to those people.
0: You have to stand up for something. That's one of the things I've, of that, it, you know, I shopped around this year. I was a Bernie delegate to the uh, yeah. National Committee. But I shopped around this year, and I finally realized, look, no matter who it is, Trump is going to call our nominee a socialist. What I like about Bernie is he's going to stand and go on offense. And if he can define, people don't know what the heck socialism means. I I, I don't, you know, I mean, was, was FDR a socialist? Yeah. I I don't know. What are your thoughts about the term uh, uh, socialist that's going to be hung on him? I think we can define it. If he can define it and show that there's been socialism for the rich and, you know.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, Well, you know, I don't know how exactly uh, uh, the word socialism polled. We did get to the point where liberal the word liberal
2: uh-huh. did
1: not poll well, and so sure. people began to call themselves progressives, yeah. <laughs> which is uh, all right. And even that's changed a little, yeah. uh, so that we now call uh, people that are liberal at least uh, moderates. That mm-hmm. I, I think that's probably incorrect. But socialists, i don't know how it polls regularly. I know it does offend some people, but I think if uh, two things: one is I, you know, I don't, I don't have a great uh, desire to uh, rehabilitate the, w- the word with people that don't like it right. what I'm interested in is uh, getting across as, as Bernie does uh, that we're not talking about you know the classic socialism or no. the uh, pub- public ownership of the means of production and right. and command the command economy and so forth but Bernie has said what he's talking about uh, as socialism is really what Franklin Roosevelt was advocating and I think that's that's true. And, and if you sell what we actually mean yeah. by uh, by the word
0: democratic uh, socialism,
1: uh, then I I think you're, you 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 find a majority of of Americans agree.
0: I I do think so. For those of me who have just tuned in, Bert Cohen here. The show is Keeping Democracy Alive. Our guest is former Senator Fred Harris, former chair of the DNC. Where. We're uh, checking out where we stand after the New Hampshire primary. The headline of the February 13 New York Times front page above the fold says, Sanders on rise, anxiety deepens among centrists. End of uh, quote. There is worry that moderates will continue to fragment and, you know, be split between uh, various different candidates. What attracts voters to some perceived center as opposed to? Boldness. I, I, I'm i not quite sure I figured that out. Is there a good strategy for trying to hug the middle? Or is it more out of fear that, oh, we'll lose people if we're not centrist? We'll scare people, and, and people are afraid of that. I, I wonder when we Democrats have ever really tried boldness. I mean, we've tried centrism, and <laughs> look what happened in 2016. When have we tried being bold?
1: I don't disagree with my old friend uh, Jim Hightower again, who wrote a book that was called uh, There's... a." Uh, the only thing in the middle of a road, of middle of the road, is a yellow line and a dead armadillo.
0: Yep, I quote him I often.
1: There is a, you know, there's certainly not a vibrant middle. I think people want you to stand for something. You know, they're not going to get excited as we just saw with uh, Joe Biden's campaign that was based on uh, electability. What people are looking for is a. Person they think that will uh, we'll be the best president of the United States we could have, and uh, and they don't get excited about somebody that's saying, uh, well, let's keep things the way they they are, or let's go back to earlier days, uh, Obama days. No matter how well you liked him, mm-hmm. we, what we have to move ahead on a lot of these issues, and uh, and and that's what people want, and so yeah. I think uh, electability is a kind of an ephemeral thing. We don't know what's electable until (laughs) we we see it happen. Uh, And uh, in the meantime, then, what we better do is uh, look for what we think is the best person to be president, and that has to do with what they're going to try to get done and and, uh, about their projected ability to get it done, I think.
0: No, I I think so, too. There has to be some degree of passion And uh, I I was impressed, I must say, that in New Hampshire, little known amongst the Republican primary voters, 10,000 people get out of their houses in a cold, rainy day to vote for Bill Weld, Republicans. That's really impressive, I think. And, you know, it it should be said that that not every Republican, you know, is is a Trumpster and that there's a lot of people I think we can uh, win over to our side by standing up for something, and I think, you know, if you look too wishy-washy, well, what he said about dead armadillos and yellow stripes, <laughs> you know, it's its absolutely true. Here it's more squirrels, okay? But uh, <laughs> now lots of people see Bernie as an angry old man. I can't tell you how often I've heard that. How significant a factor is that in his perceived winnability? And, and you know, image. I, I remember many years ago uh, when I was uh, uh, campaigning for re-election to the state senate, a a woman, I was at a factory gate, and a woman said, you know, she looked at me up and down. She said, I like your smile. I'll vote for you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I that's right. Well, I think that's true. You know, when yeah. I was running for president, uh, I, I was out in uh, Iowa uh, one weekend and then came back to my uh, office in Washington. And I, I said to uh, staff members of mine, I said, you know, I tell you who who's in this race is Jimmy Carter, huh. and uh, yes. they they said one of my staff members, Jim Monroe, said, uh, "Well, why do you say that?" And I said, "Well, you know, I keep running into people who say they like him." Uh, and, and for example, a, a United Auto Workers guy said to me, "You know, I don't think I could ever vote for a southerner, but I met this uh, this guy Jimmy Carter, uh-huh. Uh-huh. and I really liked him." And so the uh, uh, Jim Roper, my staff member, said to me, yeah, but what, uh, you know, what's that worth? And I said, well, it's it's better than a kick in the head. And I think it is true, but I, I think a lot of it means this. What really trumps like a in maybe is a part of it, is, is this person real? Yes. Is, is, is this person authentic? Yes. And the Lord knows you'd have to say, that, uh, that Bernie oh. is authentic. Uh, my, my wife was talking to some young Hispanic kids the other day in, in California, and they were for uh, Bernie. Uh-huh. And uh, they said, uh, he is consistent. Mm-hmm. He still, still says the same thing things he always did. Uh, and I think authenticity is what's really important. And, you know, and I think that's one of uh, 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 Klobuchar's. Yeah, uh, uh, a She she seems real. She really means what she says. I think so. She seems like a real person.
0: And and I, I I don't know how many people you know really look at at what the candidates stand for, but authenticity. I, back in 2016, I talked to so many people, unscientific poll, who were like, "Yeah, I like Bernie. I like Trump." And, and you know, it's the same uh, universe that that uh, I think, you know, goes for authenticity. And Klobuchar, she just, yeah. she's authentic. Others, frankly, I saw Kamala Harris. I like her. I think she, you know, perhaps she'll be on the ticket. Maybe she'll be in a cabinet. But when I saw her, you know, she had this stage presence. And it just didn't seem real. The easy authenticity just wasn't there. And I uh-huh. noticed she's not in the race anymore and uh, yeah. of course that brings up the quote from the great philosopher Groucho Marx sincerity if you can fake that you got it made <laughs>
1: <laughs> that, that's right but you know uh, one, one thing uh, uh, i had a, a fellow who was uh, had been the communications chair department chair at the university of oklahoma who was my administrative assistant later on and, and he said that uh, that uh, television really revealed sincerity, Uh most of all, or what we'd call authenticity. Uh Uh, And he said that energy is one way that 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 sort of proves uh, that you're you're authentic, that you're saying what you really believe. Uh You know, uh, Hillary Clinton, for example, I think had a heck of a problem with that. People said uh, if you talk to Hillary in person, she... was a a real person mm-hmm. laughs and and was quite authentic and so forth but she was uh, in presentations publicly she was uh, sort of stagey and and i think that caused people to say well I'm, yeah, you know she and... really sincere she really real um uh, yep. and and that's a uh, that's i a think she was really real but somehow it wasn't able to to show it and uh, you can't say, as I said, you can't say that uh, that uh, uh, Bernie is not authentic. He is oh, authentic, sure. and he's got uh, a lot of energy in his presentations and so forth. But, the, but it is funny how people hook on to things. Uh, I've had several people who were, supported everything uh, that Elizabeth Warren mm-hmm. uh, advocated. Yeah. And uh, one woman, uh, a very strong progressive, who uh, had has actually met uh, her, said, I can't stand her voice, uh, yeah. which has, seems really strange and superficial to me, but there, there, there was some of that. I mean, a little too hot, maybe, in the McLuhan sense, uh-huh. uh, Toning down a little and, uh, and warmer, but that's... Uh, that's not uh, a thing you can do, and when you're in a campaign, I've been in no. lots of campaigns, uh, not only for myself, but in presidential campaigns for other people. And uh, I, incidentally, I, uh, from the first time I went to the to the Oklahoma State Senate when I was twenty five oh,
2: wow,
1: I I was really shocked to find that uh, governors were human. <laughs> 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 that, they, that they they were perfect and oh, and I, I'm still a little bit about that way uh, uh, you know. Uh, when and I don't know there're not many candidates where I've been involved with that that I uh, wasn't kind of disappointed to see them up close to see that they weren't perfect uh-huh. well I've come to believe finally that perfect candidates don't run uh, <laughs> if they're are any perfect candidates? Perfect candidates. If they'd run, uh, I would have never been elected anything. <laughs> so you can't change your candidate once you once you've got him. You got to make the best of it and take the best of their characteristics and try to emphasize them. I, my heart, I, I'm not. Uh, I haven't endorsed any uh-huh,
2: uh-huh. candidate
1: for president. I, I don't intend to this time. My wife, as I said, is the state chair of the Democratic Party here. Oh, sure. Yeah. And the rules require that she be strictly neutral, and she is. Yes. uh, And 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 by extension, I I am also. But my heart has been with uh, Elizabeth Warren. She's Uh she's a woman. Yeah. And uh, she's from Oklahoma.
0: That's right. That's right.
1: Believes in the right things. Uh, She's made some mistakes, I think, in her campaign, as as all do. But I I'm glad to see that she's still. Scraping and still in it, and yeah, uh, we need her voice.
0: Oh, she's a very, very good uh, senator. I was very, very happy when she beat Scott Brown, who came here to New Hampshire <laughs> to run for, yeah. U- for for U.S. Senate. After she beat him, Oh, man, it, it, it's sort of funny. Then, uh, but you know, people judge. I just say something else about, please do uh,
1: the electability thing, and uh, yeah, yeah, saying uh, women, uh, a woman about her made me think. You know, there's this question of whether we could elect a woman mm-hmm. this time. And I think that the it's sort of like, you know, we couldn't elect a Catholic until we right, did.
2: Exactly. And
1: we couldn't elect a black person until we did. Yes. And uh, I think that's the same way with women. And yeah. often it's women saying, well, now it's not me. It's uh, other people, I think, wouldn't. Vote for a woman. <laughs> but you just look at the, what, how we won uh, so many new seats yeah. in the House of Representatives in, uh, in uh, 2018. 2018. Yep. We did it primarily with women. That's uh, true. They were uh, our best candidates. You know, one of the groups that we have, for the time being, we did in 2018, won away from Trump and from the Republicans are our, uh, our, uh, middle-aged, middle-class white women in yes, the suburbs. Exactly. And
0: uh, they're a key uh, demographic. We
1: shouldn't forget that when we're thinking about electability, uh, we shouldn't eliminate women automatically because of their gender.
0: Oh, for sure. I mean, suburban women are a key demographic, no question. And I, you know, on the subject of I mean, Jimmy Carter, let's phrase it, a great smile, a terrific smile. People I think want to see a candidate having fun, projecting like they're having fun. What worries me though sometimes is you know, Trump was a reality TV star. That's what happened. And, you know, TV, it shows authenticity, but I, I just wonder sometimes, you know, if, you know, a lot of times people are, are just voting for a celebrity. I mean, I'm thinking, frankly, of, of Buttigieg. If you were to ask Buttigieg supporters where he stands on issues, I don't think anybody could tell you anything, but he's he's young and he's charming. He's young and he's charming. I just yes. I, I I I don't I don't know how we're ever going to get to depths and you know where do people stand on the issues? They want somebody young, and and I I don't know. And Bernie, of course, is seen as an angry old man, but he does smile. He does have a good sense of humor, and I right. think <laughs> I, I think that does.
1: I I after his when he came back after his heart attack, oh, I yeah. I think he was uh, he seemed more upbeat and. Uh, and cheerful, and do, does now. I see you seem smile a little more than yes. than he did earlier. And I think that's a that's a good development. But on uh, uh, Buttigieg, you know, he started out uh, swearing on the Bible practically that uh, that he was for Medicare for all,
2: uh-huh.
1: and uh, just as Kamala Harris did at first, Kamala Harris changed the very next day <laughs> uh, <laughs> after her announcement, and I think that. Uh, caused her a lot of trouble in her campaign uh, and and of course uh, Elizabeth Warren had uh, trouble with that and I think her evasion of the question about whether it would require a a middle-class tax increase uh, in that that debate three times she evaded the question I thought was that began to cause her uh, problems in her campaign I think Buttigieg changed but only lately has anybody begin, uh, begun to mention uh, some of uh, some of that mm. i think we'll see more of it uh, yeah. in the debates as time goes on and that, that's why i'm really glad that uh, tom Pettis has arranged the requirements for people getting into the next debate uh, in a way that will get uh, will get uh, uh, bloomberg into the debates He's running free now, free of the debates, mm-hmm. and I, the change, incidentally, I I think is unfair to people like, uh, oh, well, like uh, Cory Booker, for example. Yes, uh, and, a good and, man. Yeah. Uh, I have some problem with that, but it certainly was not done. The change wasn't made to uh, help Bloomberg. I think Bloomberg would be uh, very happy to continue to be <laughs> outside the debates. But I want to see him in where in the debates where he'll have to answer some of these questions and can't just get by by running a purely uh, television kind of campaign.
0: Interesting point. Yeah, he'd probably like to just uh, stay as it is now and not be under any scrutiny at all. And yep. Lord knows there's some scrutiny that could happen. I do think that, and I'm, I'm often wrong, I'm more, I'm more wrong than I'm right, but I think that Buttigieg has... Probably picked it, you know, because his record as a mayor of of South Bend, uh, Indiana, you know, there's some problems with the race issues for sure, and I think, you know, I was shocked, quite frankly, to see him on the debate. Basically, legitimizing Trump's uh, 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 murder of that uh, Soleimani, the Iraqi uh, general in a, you know of a sovereign nation at which we're not at war. He yeah. you know, they asked him, "Well, would you do that?" He said, "Well, I'd have to look at the circumstances." Hello, right. should I just condemn the thing? So he needs some scrutiny as well. Uh, so now these these debates, I think,
1: have probably overall <laughs> have not been helpful to the Democratic Party, <laughs> uh, but. Uh, they're essential in uh fleshing out uh the uh, qualifications of these of these candidates and that's why I'd like to get uh, uh bloomberg in them yeah. uh, I'm you know I'm worried about bloomberg's candidacy or uh, what kind of precedent it sets uh, mm-hmm. that if you're rich enough
2: mm-hmm.
1: you could uh, buy your way into contention and that's really worrisome to me and I think we've got to See something, but we've got like a lot of changes. I think, for example, uh, Iowa. We ought to, if if I was going to continue to be in the early contest, and we ought to look into that uh, yeah. whether other states should be involved. I think that uh, we ought not anymore have the these contests no. for uh, delegates in the Democratic Party uh, d- decided. By, uh, handled or managed by the political party. They ought to be public elections handled by the regular election machinery, and I think that's what Tom Pettis is headed toward uh, in regard to uh, Iowa. But also, we've got to change things so that if we've got to have limits on contributions, including oh, yes. people's own personal contributions. We had that when we had... Public financing. When that worked, Uh, if you accepted public financing in the presidential campaign, you agreed to limits on expenditures uh, and limits on contributions. And uh, and now, of course, the Supreme Court's made it impossible Mm. to limit expenditures. Mm -hmm. And uh, and the uh, public financing system is of course gone by the board. But we're going to have to have a constitutional amendment or some other way by which we can limit uh, expenditures and campaigns.
0: And one of the things that people don't funds as well. Oh yeah. Well, although Tom Steyer is apparently a billionaire, he's put in a lot of money and then he's, he's not going anywhere. uh, Whereas Bloomberg was mayor of a large city. I mean, he's got executive experience. So there's, there's a difference there. You know, he can talk
1: about his experience. There's a difference, all the difference in the world and about that experience business. Uh, Hmm. I know myself, and I haven't been in the Senate, but I came directly from uh, uh, the Oklahoma State Senate, where I'd been mm-hmm. twice elected, starting when I was 25. Mm-hmm. I went from there to the United States Senate, nice. and uh, I used to joke and say, uh, I, I went to the United States Senate with all the expertise in economic policy in regard to economic policy and uh, foreign policy that... Eight years in the Oklahoma State Senate affords one. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can tell you that
0: having the right these values. issues,
1: you, you just have to get to where you wear them like clothes. You understand them. And it takes a while to do that. You can't just come uh, from the outside and all of a sudden know how the system works and, yeah. uh, and how to get things done. But also, the ins and outs of these uh, of these issues, they're not easy. Well, and it takes a while until it's just sort of second nature to you, uh, how you, how you understand them.
0: Oh, for sure. But, you know, I mean, Hillary Clinton had tremendous experience. Everybody said she's the most qualified. Well, she was, but it was yes. just a question of, you know, values. And Bernie Sanders had and still has amazing energy because it comes from within and it radiates out. There's no question, like him or not, he's got tremendous energy. He was a long distance right. runner. And uh, for those who may have just tuned in, Burt Cohen here. The show is Keeping Democracy Live. We're talking with somebody who I think very much likes democracy and wants more of it, like me. Former Senator Fred Harris, former chair of the DNC, former candidate for president, Fred Harris. And so there are 14 states on Super Tuesday, March 3rd, including some of the mega states, California and Texas. Is Oklahoma part of that? And, and before I actually get to that, what about Oklahoma? That's like the reddest of the red states how is there how can Democrats connect there or is it a lost cause
1: well uh, when I was uh, first in politics in uh, Oklahoma and even uh, toward the end too the uh, uh, Democrats were what I called yes but Democrats yeah. Yeah. well I'm a Democrat but I you know I can't be for Adley Stevenson or I'm a Democrat but I can't go for John Kennedy <laughs> yes but I'm a Democrat, but, but that's all changed now. Those uh, Democrats have disappeared. There's uh-huh. Probably the Democratic Party is much smaller than it was, but uh, it is uh, a purely national and progressive party now. For example, in their primary uh, four years ago, Bernie Sanders won it. Oh, no kidding. Uh, oh. So they're, they're real Democrats, national Democrats now, and their ranks are growing somewhat. Uh, now as well what happened was for a long time the democratic national committee was uh, just really was active in the campaigns in uh, states where there was a real contest and they for example they never went uh, to oklahoma you you could uh, uh, be in new mexico or texas and you'd see uh, ads for all the candidates and uh, uh, and particularly the final candidates in the general election every few minutes. But you could step across the line into Oklahoma, and you wouldn't know there was a presidential campaign going on. We left those people uh, alone. They went to the coffee shop, and all they heard were uh, were the opposition, the Republicans, and uh, they didn't speak out. We didn't reinforce them. We didn't give them ammunition. We didn't pay any attention to them. Mm. Howard Dean changed that to a 50-state kind of... uh, Strategy,
0: uh, Strategy. yeah, that was good.
1: And uh, and that's what Tom Perez Perez is doing as well. Uh, Every party, for example, the New Mexico Democratic Party receives $10,000 a month from the National Party. Mm. They also uh, have given uh, this party in New Mexico additional money for registration, particularly on the Mm. Navajo Reservation. Oh, excellent. And uh, just lately are furnishing uh, a new uh, staff member, a digital uh, expert staff member. And and they're doing that all over in every state. We're not giving any of them up. We did give a, a lot of them up for a long time, and that was a bad mistake.
0: Yeah, well, we've we've certainly made mistakes and the question is do we learn from our mistakes? And and I people on this uh who listen here have often heard me say one thing I've learned from history is that we never learn from history, but I think sometimes we do. Uh so there's the you know the people who say well Bernie's too far left. I mean, he's a, he's you know his tax plan is to the right of where Eisenhower's plan was, but the the you know the the pendulum has shifted, I think so much. But, you know, is it do we need to go to the center to win? I mean, a lot of people are afraid. What What do you think about that? And what do you see ahead for Super Tuesday?
1: I I, th- I think those labels don't uh, are not really realistic. If you if you break down the the things that uh, Bernie's for and Elizabeth Warren's for and and uh, the most of what all these Democratic candidates remaining are for, the, you'll find the majority of Americans are are in favor of them. Well, or just take the, the outright vote. Jim Hightower tells me that in Texas, uh, Bernie runs well ahead of uh, Trump uh, in, wow. the, in the polls oh now. And, and I think it's uh, if, if you make people concentrate on issues, well, what is it you say is too far left? Do you agree with the $15 minimum wage with a ratchet clause to, uh-huh. uh, where it'll go up automatically with the cost of living? Well, yeah, I think that's good. Well, do you what do you you think we ought to see that everybody has like we used to say, public education through high school? You think we ought to be sure everybody has an opportunity for public education through college? Well, yeah, I, I like that. <laughs> if you break these things down, you say, well, are you for this? Are you for that? Or. You think we've got to do something about this crisis of climate change, mm-hmm. uh, and, and one, two, three, these kind of things? Yes, I, I agree with that. Right. You gotta- so I think that the labels get in our way. We call it socialist, or we call it uh, too left-wing, or whatever. Uh, and if we get, if we talk about the issues, and people can understand what we're what we're for, and why. Uh, I I don't think uh, there's any question that a majority of people are with us. I think. But I think. I just want to say this sure, sure. last thing: uh, that uh, these Democratic candidates, the ones that are that uh, are entitled to our con- concern and our support, and whoever is going to eventually be the nominee, are people that, that really are feel passionately about yes. uh, three uh, existential threats that are that are really at the, the crisis uh, period right now. One is uh, climate change, which is the Absolutely. greatest existential threat to our planet mm-hmm. since uh, humans uh, discovered fire. Yes. <laughs> the other is this terrible and worsening inequality of wealth and income in this country, which is the greatest existential threat to democracy, Yes, in this country, since our founders put together that remarkable compromise mm-hmm. uh, constitution, and then we've got a man in the White House who is systematically, step by step, uh, uh, doing away with, dismantling, or gaining control of, or terribly weakening. Every entity or governmental agency that can be a some uh, somewhat of a check on our drift toward authoritarian government. Yes. All of these are serious crises, and we want to see our candidates speak with passion yes. and specificity uh-huh. about what ought to be done about them. We do that. We'll win this thing, and I don't care whether whether you call what we're saying socialism or leftist or whatever. Uh, what we're wanting are action on real solutions.
0: And I think in uh, 1948, uh, Arthur Schlesinger wrote a book called The Vital Center. I think that's really what we're talking about here, what used to be the vital center. I got to refer to an old friend of mine. I was really surprised at this. Mike Dunbar, he's a Republican. He and I used to do a point-counterpoint on newspaper and local TV. He actually urged Trump to run for president back in 1988. I got this message from him a few days ago. He says, and this is a, a, he, he urged Trump to run in 88. The country is so divided, I want the results of the next election to be crystal clear. That is more likely to happen if the differences between the candidates are stark, black and white. Bernie will not try to pivot after the nomination and muddy the distinction between himself and Trump. Once we have a clear decision from the voters as to the direction they want, maybe the country can return to civility. And so he's actually supporting Bernie. And uh, I I think that's a, a good and interesting sign. So where do we go from here? Do you think? I mean, there's, we got a couple of, uh, so, you know, we got Nevada coming up with their caucus, and South Carolina, and of course uh, Super Tuesday. Uh, I, I think. Well,
1: I, let me just say this again. I uh, after the uh, uh, the loss of the Humphrey against uh, Nixon in nineteen sixty eight. Oh yeah. I agreed to become uh, the chair of the Democratic National Committee, uh-huh. and I, I I did that while. Continuing to serve full time, of course, as a United States Senator. Uh, that's the only time we've ever done that, where uh, the the chair of the Democratic Party uh, was a full time CEO and also a full time member of the of the Senate and uh, or of the House. And I did that for two, th- well, three reasons. One is I wanted to uh, uh, to reform the party. Now, I appointed George McGovern and a reform commission. Mm-hmm. And I made up in such a way as to assure that they would come up with with the kind of recommendations we needed, full representation of women and minorities, which had not been the case, democracy in all the processes uh, of the party, including the election of delegates to the National Convention, which had not been the case before, mm-hmm. and uh, doing away with what then were called ex-officio delegates to the National Convention, people who were delegates simply because they held some other official office. All that was done. Now, later, in 1984, the party backtracked on that and established what were called superdelegates again. Superdelegates ought to be uh, just honorary. They'd be given a Uh a floor seat Uh, in a convention but not have a vote. Uh Uh, What eventually was arrived at lately... Uh, when the Democratic Party was to take away their vote on the first First ballot. ballot, I thought they should have their their vote be taken away altogether. But anyway, I I I helped democratize the Democratic Party. I love it. And today uh, the Democratic Party is far easier to take over than it is to beat. (laughs) In order to put the party on record against the Vietnam War, which we did, Mm -hmm. and then thirdly, we had, through two uh, Democratic administrations, Kennedy and Johnson, the party had become totally reliant on large contributions and corporate uh, contributions. And so I, I hired and brought down from New York the head of uh, UNICEF's uh, direct mail program and, and instituted that. Uh, we made a start, but uh, we, we didn't get too far on it. Uh, uh, not far enough. Now... With the Internet, there's a lot more reliance yes. on smaller contributions, and, and we, could, we could do better uh, on that still. At any rate, the Democratic Party is, I think, the institution with the most progressive uh, record and uh, effectiveness on all the good things that have happened in recent years. And I hope people will more and more go to the parties' uh, meetings you could go to your precinct oh, yeah. meeting, you very likely get elected chair if you want to be <laughs> the chair of the precinct, oh. and make the party even more an instrument of the, of the popular will.
0: Hey, thank you so much. We've come to the end of the hour. We could do another two, three, four hours, that's for sure. Fred Harris, it's an honor to speak with you, and thank you for democratizing the party. It made a big difference. Thank you so much. Time. You bet.
2: I've to the